And welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Tino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. So the Giants wrapped up yet another OTA. We'll get into what Pat Shermer had to say. We'll tell you about some of the highlights from practice. And we'll get to your phone calls and your tweets along the way. So let's start with some of the things that Pat Shermer pointed out. And then we'll get to some of the highlights, Paul. And you know, one of the things that he mentioned, which was an emphasis in today's practice, this was they've reached just about the midway point of OTAs and they sat down as a staff and they said this is going to be a practice where we're going to emphasize a lot of the young guys on the roster we're going to give them as many reps as possible so therefore we can get a better idea of what the depth chart of our team looks like as we get set for the start of mini camp and training camp well and that's why today he gave a lot more reps to the younger folks who are less experienced who have yet to maybe show enough of their wares uh, according to Shermer, they had a, a big uh, personnel meeting last Thursday where he went upstairs and sat down with the personnel department and basically said, okay, we got a lot of these younger guys on the back end of the roster, and let's see if we can get a little bit more of a look at them now because I think they, they probably have a pretty good idea of at least the upper two-thirds of the roster. Is that fair, maybe? I think that's fair. Yeah. At least the half, yeah. if not two-thirds. He didn't use that fraction. I'm interpreting that fraction just because of, of what I see on the field and the guys who I pretty much know are first and second team guys. There are a bunch of guys running with the third team offense and defense who are trying to win roster spots on the back end of the depth chart. And maybe even some of those guys may compete for a, a second team spot. But the, the fact remains... He wanted to get more of a look at them today, and I thought that was kind of a neat thing to see a bunch of those guys. In fact, they also moved Kyle Orletta to the third-team offense today. He had been operating as the fourth-team offensive quarterback until today's session. Because Tanny was ahead of him in Correct. terms of the rotation Correct. of the quarterback. So that was at least something that jumped out to us about practice. And I would agree with you, Paul. I think if you look at the 90-man roster, you say there's at least 30 guys that they'd probably like to get a better feel for before they get to training camp. I don't think that's an outrageous number to throw out there. Plus, remember, Paul, there's been a lot of transactions that have taken place yes. over the last few weeks. I mean, You, they you should mention the ones Gary Today. Dickerson, the tight end, who they signed today, and before we get back into it, and they waived the following. They waived Keon Johnson, they waived defensive backs Jeremiah McKinnon and Mike Jones, and they brought in Garrett Dix Dickerson, excuse me, the tight end from Northwestern University, who's a local product from Bergen Catholic here in New Jersey. Now, there was a couple of guys who we got to see today, as you know, um, not every player attends every single one of the voluntary off-season sessions. So, for example, uh, Odell Beckham was not here today. So, as the Giants were running uh, wide receivers out there with the first team, we saw Sharp and we saw Latimer out there with Sterling Shepard. Those were your starting three wide receivers with the first and team. And Latimer's been getting a lot of reps with the He's first team all off He's been getting a lot. And even Sharp, they've kind yeah. of pushed him up a little bit. You know, so he got a, he got a lot of looks today uh, on the outside uh, with the first team offense, and he's one of those guys who, again, Shermer wasn't here last year, so he doesn't really know a lot about Hunter Sharp. All that anybody really knows about him is that he comes with a lot of speed credentials, extremely fast player, who, as we talked to Dominic Hickson last week, could be very very good for kickoff returns. Given so, the spacing and the alignment, let's see if. He can win a spot as a wide receiver, so good for him to get more reps. But a couple of guys who uh, wound up getting first-team reps today on defense, and this was rather unique, um, Curtis Riley, the veteran corner, 
got a bunch of reps at safety today. Now, Landon Collins is still limited, okay? For some part of the practice today, he had the red penny on. Other parts, he didn't, but still very limited in Moving what he's doing. Moving along slowly. Shermer said they're going to be cautious with him. Uh, but Riley, Curtis Riley, got a bunch of snaps at safety today. He's a corner by trade. So maybe he's the new Leon Hall type of guy that they're looking at who can do both. And those guys are very, very, very valuable if they can do both. So that was one thing that I noticed today. Uh, Orion Stewart, a rookie defensive back out of Baylor at 6'2", 205, 24 years old. Um, he's, and he's a, a recent addition. They signed him only a few weeks ago. Yes, and he's a uh, an undrafted rookie free agent. He had not been with the other team prior. We also got an opportunity to see him take some elevated team reps uh, at safety, which, again, to me, it was like, oh, wow, let, look at that. You know, this these are examples of guys who Shermer gave more opportunities to today uh, with the higher uh, teams on the depth chart. Those are just two that come to mind right off the bat. And actually, also, uh, even though Jalapio, the center, is not a young guy, he, over his career, does not have an extensive resume. You know, and yet he was the first team center today. And when asked about it, Coach Shermer said Jalapio has actually done a lot of good things and he has raised his level of play to the point where he is now competing with Brett Jones. And it's not like anybody's winning. He's like, don't see anything into it. I just want these guys to compete. And Jalapio deserves that chance because he has shown to be a pleasant surprise to Coach Shermer and the new staff. Yeah, Jalapio is a player that got a lot of reps last season because of injuries on the offensive line. But once again, more at guard than at center. He's still trying to prove himself to Shermer. Sure he is. Shermer wasn't here for any of those reps, similar to your point about Hunter Sharp. So I'll tell you I what. think they're in the same ballpark there. Jalapio is bigger than Brett Jones. Now, whether or not he turns out to be a better producer. Let them fight it out. That's great. Competition is wonderful. We've thought that Brett Jones was just going to be the guy, but if Jalapio is going to raise his game to the level where he can push Jones, may the better man win. Brett Jones will be on this team. I don't think there's any yeah. question about that because he's a competent NFL center. But if Jalapio proves that he can be just as competent or if for somehow, some way he passes Jones – Hey, you know what? The best five get to play, Lance. Well, I'm in agreement with you there, Paul, but also I think that does wonders for the depth chart, though. Sure Just it think does. about that. Whoever loses the job is then going to become a swing backup. Yes. Just like when we talk about if John Jerry doesn't win a starting job, then he becomes a backup, and that means that at least in a pinch, in the event that one of your starters goes down, you're turning to somebody that has been out there as a starter as opposed to throwing a young player in the mix where it's more like a baptism by fire type of feel. I'll give you the second team offensive line since we have talked so much about the O-line during the offseason. As they lined it up today, Nick Becton was the second string left tackle. Chris Scott, as you know, he's got connections to Carolina. He was the second team left guard. Brett Jones was the second-team center. John Jerry was the second-team right guard today. And Chad Wheeler was the second-team right tackle. So they're trying to get as many reps for these players as possible. And even if you look over the course of OTAs and offseason practices, Paul, there's been various alignments. It's not like they've been sticking with one group and saying, hey, these guys were only getting a look at. Yeah, not at all. Which is good because this is when you want to try to feel them out. Well, look, when you've won three games the year before – you darn well better do everything you can to untap whatever production you can get out of anybody 
who was on your campus. So why not? Oh, I'm with you. Absolutely. The other thing that I wanted to point out before we open up to the phone lines, Rhett Ellison also spoke to the media after Pat Shermer. Mm -hmm. And Ellison, unlike a lot of players on this roster, actually has a connection to Shermer because <laughs> he was on the Vikings when Shermer was the offensive coordinator. But one of the things that was interesting that Rhett Ellison had to say was that he feels the way Shermer and Mike Shula lay out the language of the offense. He didn't say the offensive scheme is easy, but he just said that Shermer and the coaching staff have a very unique way of teaching the language of the system, which he seems to think is a big reason why the team overall has picked up the language a little bit quicker than he's been used to seeing, whether it be in college or the professional level. Well, and I think the primary reason for that, he, he also mentioned something else, and I think it ties in well. He said, with Coach Shermer, you you get what you see. I mean, he is the guy that you see and hear all the time. He's very straightforward. He's very honest. And he's not going to smoke you. I mean, Kurt Schirmer, again, you get what you see. Or you see what you get. However you want to describe it. That's who he is. And he's direct. And he's honest. And he's to the point. And look, if I'm a player, not only do I want that for a better locker room environment... But I also want that because it's going to make it easier for me to understand exactly what his system is and what he wants me to do. I mean, it's common sense, right? And he said that Shermer hasn't changed when he's an no. offensive coordinator versus a head coach, which is what you just Same demeanor. To. Yeah. That's him. Even line. Same guy. Uh, one other thing we do have yeah. to say, uh, Coach Shermer was asked about a fullback today. Now, we've discussed this for months on the program and how Coach Shermer, since he got to the Giants, had yet to be pinned down as to how he felt about a fullback. And he said, I quote, and I'm, I'm taking uh, with dot, dot, dots in here, I like the use of a fullback because you always have the element of seven-man pass protection. So he was clear in his preference for having a fullback position on the roster. Now, does that fullback have to be a real fullback in terms of somebody like Shane Smith? He was running some snaps today with the first team. Or can that fullback be a Red Ellison who doubles as a fullback, yep. tight end most of the time, fullback some of the time? That's a roster decision. That's a numbers game that the Giants are not prepared to get into now, nor should they. Training camp hasn't even started yet. Worry about the numbers when you have to worry about the numbers. But at least philosophically speaking, we now know for sure, right from Shermer's mouth, he does like the ability to have that extra guy in the backfield who can be part of a seven-man protection scheme on any given play. He's definitely in favor of that. And, you know, from watching the Vikings, you knew that they did they did use one. Which is why it's not surprising to hear that. So we yeah. thought that would be the case, but we did not know for sure because he was only a coordinator there. He was not a head coach. Maybe, you know, we had thought maybe, who knows, maybe the head coach demanded it. Maybe they said, we're going to have one, and Pat had to use one. No, we heard today from Pat Shermer, he's in favor of a fullback because he likes to be able to utilize a seven-man protection when necessary. Of course, the effectiveness of your offensive line and your blocking tight end also determines how often you need to use a seven-man pass protection. And you know what? If they find out over the course of the preseason that they really like what their blocking schemes are doing, maybe it lessens the need 
to use the seven-man protection. Therefore, maybe you say, okay, Red Ellison, you go back there when we need you to. Maybe you don't use a roster spot for the fullback. So by no means are we telling you there will be a pure fullback on the roster. What we are telling you is schematically he's in favor of using one. It's dictated by matchup, too, in terms of what the opposition And that's fair presents. as well. And, and Red Ellison has experience as a fullback in the Viking system because yes. if you go back to his days in Minnesota, he was utilized there. The Giants utilized him a little, but not nearly as much as we anticipated. What I found interesting, a little comical, was Ellison, to me, had the B.J. Goodson approach when he spoke to the media, which was keeping everything close to the vest, Paul, because he was <laughs> pressed a little, Paul, about, so where do you think they're going to line you up? How is the offense, whether or not it's balanced enough between the run and the pass? And Rhett was like, yeah, all that stuff has yet to be determined. And BJ had the exact same re- yes. approach, if you remember, Paul. Yes, I When do. they were asking BJ about, you know, are you lining up on the left or the right of Alec Ogletree? Is there a lot of blitz packages within the scheme? And BJ was like, you know, time will tell, guys. I'm, I'm not giving away too many secrets. So I think that seems to be the philosophy across the board that the players are having the wait-and-see approach, which is smart. You don't want to necessarily give away all the tools in the shed so quickly. Time will tell how this offense and this defense pans out. But I thought we did learn a few different nuggets from what Pat Shermer and Rhett Ellison had to say. We're going to open up the phone lines. We're also going to involve some tweets. So if you can't get to the phone, feel free to chime in. Hashtag Giants Chat, 201-939-4513 is the telephone number, 201 201- 939-4513. So let's start off here on Twitter, Paul, at AJ Marshall 3 When Odell Beckham gets clear, he says, in his opinion, Cody Latimer should stick with the first team along with Sterling Shepard. Well, I mean, they are still looking for that third wide receiver. I don't think anybody has hammered down that position at this point. We mentioned Hunter Sharp has seen some reps. Cody Latimer certainly has seen some reps. Latimer has an edge over Sharp in terms of just experience and the fact that he has ties to Tyke Tolbert, the wide receivers coach. But I don't think you could say at this point that anybody has a significant leg up on that third receiver spot. And here's another guy. You know, Roger Lewis is still very well in the mix. I don't think we can forget about him. He doesn't have ties to the wide receivers coach or Pat Shermer, but he certainly has experience in the NFL level. So all three of those guys, I I think once the pads are put on, you can make a case to say, hey, let the best man win, and it could very well be any of three of those. Whatever edge is gained by a guy now when they're in the uh, shirts and shorts can quickly go away within a week or two of training camp once they get the pads on, or for that matter, just one or two preseason games. I mean, all of a sudden, that depth chart changes in a heartbeat. Well, because the physicality is going to be brought into the mix when you're talking about the preseason and training camp. And, you know, Paul, how many times have we seen a guy, he catches everything during OTAs? Catches every—I mean, we're talking about he looks like the best wide receiver on the Mm -hmm. planet. Then all of a sudden, you put the pads on, you bring the defensive backs a little bit closer to the line, there's some physicality, now you got to get separation, and all of a sudden, it's not as crisp, the production. That's why— You know, I I think for the most part, at least I do personally, I shy away from making these bold declarations right now and telling you, well, this guy looks great and this guy looks fantastic because, I mean, yeah, everybody looks great in their underwear. And Red Ellison even used that term. He goes, listen, we're not hitting each other at this point. So it's very difficult to tell who is going to take the next level up when you start embracing the physicality. So I think it's good to see how guys are lined up at this point, Paul. I think it's good to monitor consistency, meaning he's been reliable, he's running the routes, he's making plays. Then we separate the men from the boys when we actually get to training camp. 
Well, you know, here's the thing. I think I think one of the things that we have to understand about what's going on here is that in many ways the coaches are trying to get a feel for the guys more mentally than physically. I think that's fair. Right. So we have to temper our grades and what we're seeing and what we're thinking because we can't possibly know what those coaches are telling them out on the field and then if those guys are executing, if they're doing the right reads. There was a play earlier today during practice, and I saw it. Now, I can only imagine it was the right read because Davis Webb went up to the line of scrimmage during a red zone attack, and they were at about the 10, 15-yard line. And he went up to the line. There was movement on the defense. He clearly stopped and called an audible. There was no question he called an audible. Made his call, did his hand signals, okay, blah, blah, okay, fine, after he saw the adjustment. Went back to throw, boom, hits uh, Travis Rudolph for a touchdown on a right out, all right, right inside the goal line. Beautiful throw. Right after the play, Rudolph comes back up to the huddle and it was time to go to the third-team offense, and Webb and Rudolph went over to each other, and Webb gave him a high five, as if to say, I made the adjustment. You were on sync with me and to make the adjustment. We executed. We did the right play. We got the touchdown. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. We're on the same page. There's a great example, folks, of how you know we can tell. Knowledgeable eyes from the sideline can tell something about what's going on, And those are the hints, those are the clues that we have that can say, you know what, that was a good read by Rudolph, that was a terrific read and execution by by him and Webb both, and big thumbs up. Now, on the other hand, there was a play earlier where Tanay went back to pass. It looked like he was checking off three different receivers. They were all covered, and then he tried to force one into the sideline instead of throwing the ball way out of bounds. Well, as soon as the play was over, you knew it was a botched-up play, and he definitely shouldn't have done what he did. You could kind of tell that. An educated eye could see that. As soon as the play was over, Coach Shermer called him over. Had a little and, chat. And, and, and he was you, – but you could see he wasn't angry with him. He was going with his hands. He was saying with this and this, and you could see this and look at that. And he was clearly trying to explain to him how that play unfolded and maybe Tanay could have done something better. So those are the hints that we can see at these workouts, and we'll even see during the course of the minicamp and even during training camp. Those are the hints that we can see from the sideline that we can then say to you, you know what, we think so-and-so had a good day, not only because of what we saw, but in addition to the hints that we were able to glean. So there's a great example, folks, you know, when you hear, guy had a good day or a bad day and then you say well what are you talking about there's no contact you guys keep downplaying it well those are the hints that that we see well and that's another reason why Pat Shermer said they wanted to play a lot of the young guys today because part of the rationale behind that Paul is they want to see how they get lined up they want to see how they come out of the huddle they want to see how they handle unscripted plays and those moments that you were just talking about are examples of where the coaching staff is trying to test these guys mentally. It's just, hey, can you adjust to movement within the Mm -hmm. defense? Can you adjust to movement maybe on the line? Can you make those necessary changes? And then do the players around you understand those changes so therefore you can implement it correctly and execute? Well, and as we get to the calls, we've already heard many times about how 
they have said, the coaches, that is, that Barkley has shown a propensity to pick up the pass protection and the blitzes. Well, how do we know that? Well, because when they're lining up, even though it's no contact, Excuse me, I'm sorry again. Well, you get all emotional over I these things. I do get very so emotional. You don't I'm have very to excited. excuse yourself. Yeah, trust I, look, me, you don't have to excuse yourself. Can we please get to August? Please. <laughs> we'll get it. Training there. camp, preseason games. Yes. Um. So Barkley gets out there, and they're lining up, and defensive players are moving around and doing their thing, and they're showing blitz, and then Barkley makes the adjustment. You see, all of a sudden, he takes a couple steps this way. This way, yeah. And so you know, you know that Barkley has made the adjustment. He saw what he needed to see, and he made the proper move. You don't need to hit and have contact to know that he recognized well, what they were how doing. He reacted. To him. Yeah. And that's why the coaches are saying Barkley seems to have an understanding of pass protection. Folks, I'm all jacked up. Well, I love right. practice. I, could you tell? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know we were taking this show to a new level. Paul now actually reenacts what took place during the course of OTA This, this is why this is I can never be found ever on yes. a golf course because I got too much energy for a golf yeah. course. Well, you'd be the guy yelling Ford, Ford, Ford at least. So, you know, I, I mean, mean, just <laughs> keep me far away from golf, please. That, yeah. That's just no, no. No, it's too no, slow. No. It's too boring. You no. Me? We'd all fall asleep. Yes, anyway. We need something that's a little bit more physical. All right. <laughs> Let's get physical with the callers, shall we? Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Hashtag Giants Chat. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, what's happening? Hi guys, how you doing? Good what's right, going Scott? on? What do you got for us? Uh, question. Uh, I was engaged in your conversation, and I was just wondering why uh, I, I wasn't that impressed with Shane Smith so far, and I was wondering why they wouldn't use, say, Stewart as the fullback as they did sort of in Carolina with D'Angelo Williams, and he. And or vice versa, have Barkley as a blocker, as a ruse sometimes, and actually use uh, Stewart as the fullback. Does, does that make any sense? Well, I don't, first of all, I don't know if you want to put Barkley in that position as a fullback. I mean, I would not recommend that. I, I don't think you want him to take those types of hits as a lead blocker. Right. So, Are you suggesting they just use him as a decoy in a two-man backfield? I mean, Correct. to actually use him as the lead blocker would not be of something course. I'd well, want to do that either. I rule out. Yeah. But if you want to throw him in a two-man backfield and use him as a decoy, I could see that happening. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the okay. alignment. But, but I mean, to your point, Scott, you know, Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams would share the backfield. They would rotate it in and out. And there were some times where they were on the field together. But they, they were not utilizing Jonathan Stewart or D'Angelo Williams as the lead block for one another so that they can then clear a pathway no, up the gut. That no, was that's not, not going to ha so so happen. Jonathan Stewart is a fullback, I think, is really unrealistic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, with the accumulation of all these tight ends, I was just curious how, on the depth chart, Darrell Adams is, is looked upon by the coaching staff right now because he seems to have a lot of talent speed-wise, and he's a fairly decent blocker. So is this uh, – and I'm sure by June there might be some more roster changes, obviously, but I was just curious if uh, – where how they gauge uh, uh, Jarrell Adams now and whether he's uh, going to be you know, sort of part of the offensive strategy of Pat Shermer. He's had a good training camp. Let's not kid ourselves. He's had a good spring so far. I shouldn't say training yeah. camp. We're not there yet. But he's had a good off season. There is no question about that. But now, look at the bodies there. You know, Kyle Carter is here from the Vikings. Also has a connection. Okay. Yeah. So we know he's coming in. We know uh, O'Malley, who was unable to practice today, he was on the bikes. But this is a guy who, you know, they signed in the offseason thinking that he might have some upside. So there is going to be some competition for that third tight end spot. 
I mean, is he going to win it? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, someone's going to be the third tight end. Yeah, or are they going to keep four? You know, that remains to be a question. You know, Shane Smith is also thrown into that tight end slash fullback role. Ellison is that dual threat. Do they count them within the three? Do they add them as the fourth guy? You know, that remains to be seen. Do they decide to keep an extra offensive lineman instead of going with a fourth of tight course, end? that's another factor. I, I would say that right now, Ingram and Ellison, I think, should feel pretty safe about their roster spots. I think, I don't we're, think gonna we're going to see a lot of two tight end so, sets with them, too. So, therefore, you know, you're talking about Kyle Carter, familiarity with the system, familiarity with Shermer, O'Malley, right. who you mentioned, and then Jarrell Adams, who, you know, has been on the roster, but I, I think we're beyond the scholarship phase at this point. And keep in mind, Dave Gettleman has no allegiance to Jarrell Adams whatsoever. No. Right. He didn't draft him. So, you know, you can't say now, oh, well, just because he may be flashed here or there at times in the previous regime, that that's going to give him a leg up when they weren't around for that. Look at it this way. It's his third pro season coming up. He's going to have to show and earn yep. everything that he gets. And there's nothing wrong with saying that because the, the resume that he's put forth to this point has not earned him a concrete spot. Right. And the uh, formulation of actually, as you get into training camp, a lot of these uh, players that the Giants have added to the roster, is everything sort of going to weed out by then, or do you think the coaches will have a good idea of who they want on the roster prior to uh, you know, the actual training camp beginning? Well, when you say the roster, are we talking about the 53-man roster, or are we talking about the 90-man roster? Yeah, more the 53-man roster. Uh, or do, they have, do they envision where or where they think their players are going to be? Because obviously no. they have 90 now. Camp. I think the depth chart is too wide open at this point. I, I don't think they've, they've got much of a clue. It would surprise me if, if they had a really good idea. This is a three-win football team from last season and a right. whole new administration. I think they would be doing a disservice and an injustice to everybody in that locker room if they had a pretty good idea of who their 53 guys were right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that they probably envision, you know, who they think is going to start in most of the roles. Sure, but sure. I think there's a lot up for grabs in terms of the remaining starting positions and then just the entire depth chart. I, I don't think anybody has locked up a position because you even hear the coaches, the players, and even Shermer himself say, until they put the pads on, it's very difficult for us to say that we fully have a good grasp of what every single player on this roster can I mean, achieve. There's going to be a bunch of second team spots that have yet to be decided, and Lord knows, I don't think anybody who's, quote, third team on the depth chart has any right to assume that they're going to be on the roster. Right. Well, I appreciate it, guys. I was just was curious about, uh, you know, where the roster actually stood. You Thanks got it, again. Scott. Appreciate the phone Thank call. You. Thanks so much for weighing in. Let's head back to the lines. We check in with Kevin in Florida. Kevin, what's happening? Hey, guys. Uh, you know, the guy in front of me uh, stole a little bit of my thunder. I was uh, going to talk about Jarrell Adams because if you guys recall his last year in South Carolina is when the team collapsed, the coach Maria quit in the middle of the season, and the only thing they had on offense was him, and he caught 60-some-odd passes when they had nothing else to do. And I know when he came into the SEC, he was considered potentially in that Ingram, O.J. Howard potential, but it never worked out for him in South Carolina. Spurrier never really used a tight end as a featured receiver. I think he's the kind of guy who, when he says he's had a good camp, I think he, his best years are ahead of him, whether it's here or somewhere else. Because he's, uh, you know, he really, you know, back then he was, you know, wasn't very well coached there at the time in South Carolina, especially his last year. And then, so he's someone I think uh, has been underutilized his whole career. I think he's the kind of guy that could really develop 
and I think Sherman and Shula are the kind of guys that can bring it out for him. I'd be, be very surprised if he doesn't at least make the team, but, you know, you never know. He's going to have a chance. And, yeah. and, yeah, and, and remember, the other thing is, you know, blocking is the big himself. key to his game. I mean, th- that's really what what is going to allow him to make a name for himself. They, they've got to trust that he can't just go out and run routes and catch passes, but he has to be a reliable guy that if they need him on the line of scrimmage, he can block. And I, I think that's the area of his game, even if you go back to college, that is still raw and is still being developed. Yeah, I think what hurt him was in his last year in South Carolina, the starting tight end was primarily a blocker. They... And he wasn't able to do that because they had nothing else to – no one else to throw the ball to, basically. He only won one game that year. Here's think, what they know like about that. him. He's got the physical tools to go out there and do it. Now he's going to have to be able to pick up the offense and then prove that he can do it in a live game. Because quite honestly, it's not even can you block. It's no, 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 no. Do you know the play? Can you adjust on the fly? Can you pick up that blitz? Can you pick up that stunt? Can you know? It's it's Even when we talk about a guy being a good blocker, I want to make something very clear. Being a good blocker entails more than physically being able to block. Yeah. It also entails being able to pick it up here and understand that on the move, I need to know which guy I'm supposed to block. And sometimes mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. Knowing your assignment, same thing with a running back in pass protection. No question. It's not just embracing the physicality. It's knowing, okay, who do you have based on what the offensive line is. And I think too up. often yeah. when we talk about blocking, uh, fans will, will just think that, oh, is the guy physical enough to no, take no. on a player? No, when we talk about a guy being a good blocker, he's got to get the mental part of the game down too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does have a you know, in college, his first couple of years in practice, he did block against Javion Clowney. So I'm sure that uh, – I, I, I'm sure that he has some. But anyway, I'd be surprised if he didn't make the team. I'm kind of rooting for him. Okay. And I just have well, another thing, yeah. a, a little different topic that you talked about a little bit last week about the kickoff rule. I'd, I'd like to actually see them do something like they do in baseball. You go out, you flip the coin to decide which way you want to defend. The home team gets the ball on the 25 to start the game. Oh, I mean, boy. the visiting team, the home team gets it to start the second half. And if you want to cut down on kickoffs, you can eliminate two kickoffs a game just by doing that. If you're oh. looking to eliminate, cut, cut kickoffs down. I hear you. And, and you know what? Here's the problem. There are probably about 25 different people who would have 25 different suggestions on how to modify kickoffs. Yeah. And I have no idea which one is really the best. We could talk about this for the next 25 well, years you know and what? not figure out which one is the best. And, and, Kevin, listen, appreciate the phone call. <laughs> when you also start thinking factoring in, you know, flipping of coins and luck and this and yeah. that, you know, it, it almost to me takes away from the sport completely. We're not playing football anymore. We're basically just hoping that the right side of the coin bounces your way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you want the teams, you want the players to be more often than not deciding the outcome of the game. So that's why I'm not necessarily in favor of getting too creative. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got James in Pennsylvania. James, what's happening? Can you hear me? We hear you loud and clear, James. What's happening? Hey, I, I, this is, this might or might not be off topic. My kid, I got a kid, and I'm coming from southern southern Pennsylvania, and I just need to know if there'll be something on the website when training camp starts, when there's fan day. Yeah, should I leave at like four in the morning? That'll come all... up here. Am I going? Am I going to see anybody, or am I, am I going to be stuck in New York after practice and not even see nobody? Like, how? how well, is, no, is James. Well, what up? what like, they do general? is. James, before training camp starts, the Giants will release an entire list of dates 
that are open to fans. You'll know that before training camp gets underway. And then shortly after that, they'll release days when certain alum are going to sign autographs and maybe even certain current players. But that's not necessarily always revealed as way in advance compared to the dates. The only thing that you had to take into consideration is the Giants are going to release the dates of open practices. And they're limited because of other events and concerts that go on at MetLife Stadium because of the parking lot. But what happens is you may wake up that morning, it may be pouring rain, and they may move the practice indoors which means that it's technically no longer an open practice. So you have to understand that Mother Nature is going to create some challenges for the open practices, even right. if you know those dates in advance. So there will be some information up on oh, the Oh, there certainly will it. be information. That information will be released before they start training camp. No doubt. Late July. Yep. Oh, okay. So I was just wondering because only you guys, you know, we were excited about, you know, the practices. Understand. And you can get me excited too, so. Yeah. My kid, he, he wants to come up. I'm, I'm going to have him come up. And yeah, and, and see, you'll, see you'll definitely have that opportunity. Yeah. I'll have, I'll have time to plan that out and everything. Indeed. All right, James. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing hey. in. You got it. All right, let's move along here. How about Len in Columbia, Maryland? Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing all right, Len. What do you got for good, us? Good, good. Um, well, Lance, first of all, I wanted to agree, agree with you wholeheartedly on the on a point that you try to make about Adams, uh, which was the deciding factor with Adams is probably going to wind up being how well he blocks. Um, I think that second tight end, the idea of a second tight end as a blocking tight end, I mean, in all honesty, I really don't want to see Ingram in there as a blocking tight end. I, I think there's a willingness there to do it, but I don't really think that, that that's his game. But with Adams, I think the difference is going to be um, his his ability to win the job based based on it based on his blocking. One one other thing about about blocking that I wanted to add, uh, particularly at the tight end position, boy, that's something you really want to you you really want to do that. You have to want to do that. Um, blocking a lot of it is mental. I mean, you want to. You have to want to mix it up in there. Um, you know, some of these guys come out of college; they come out as tight ends. But you know, you ask them to block, and they say, "Hey, uh, you know, I haven't done that in four years or five years. I haven't done that since high school." So, you know, blocking is like to me, it's a lot like special teams. Also, I mean, you really have to want to do that. Um, yeah, and but Len, you know, Len, a lot let, of it's mental. Len, yeah, let, go, I'm yeah, sorry. you're go right. Yes. You're right. Yes, a lot of it is mental. A lot of it comes from the heart. A lot of it comes from effort. But there's some of it that just comes from understanding what your assignment is. Oh, yeah. Sometimes yeah. a guy can show effort. A guy can want to do it, and it's wrong to just assume that he doesn't have the effort or desire to. Maybe he just doesn't know what he's doing. And well, I believe be, me, I've seen yeah. enough of guys who who yeah. simply who yeah. simply let someone yeah. come in clean and yeah. crush the quarterback, and he didn't want to do it. He just didn't yeah. know who, who to block. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, there is a reason why why these teams have tight end coaches when they only have three tight ends on the team. Yeah. Um, you know, there's somebody in there who's got to train them on how to on how to do this too. But I I think I mean everything you said was correct. I'm not arguing with anything. I just wanted to add that one point about you you really you know blocking. That's that's a tough business. Yeah. I mean, Gettleman has even suggested. I mean, you get into the middle of that line, you get along these lines. I mean, that's that's survival of the fittest in there. 
and you really got to want to do you no, really no, got to want to do Len, that. You know what? Hey, Lance, Len, Len, yeah, yeah, before you continue, and we'll let you make your point, I think you do bring up a really good point. And what I was going to say is I think it's the same parallel to playing defense in basketball. I think you have to show yeah. the desire and the passion oh, yeah. to want to oh, play defense. Oh, you yeah. have to show yeah. that desire to want to rebound the basketball. Mm -hmm. Some of these things can be taught, don't get me wrong. But if you don't yeah. have a guy that is looking at the opposing player and saying, uh, my goal is I'm going to shut him down and I'm going to run everywhere he goes, yeah, it's hard to then get that player to take it to the next level. So I agree with you. I think blocking in football is the same exact mindset. Go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off there. Did we lose line? All right, Len, if you're listening, give us a ring back. We'll, we'll let you get back on and uh, get to your next point. Sorry about the technicalities that were occurring, but I agree with Len. I think he brings up an excellent point. In the meantime, let's head back to the lines. Primo's in South Carolina. Primo, what's happening? Uh, how you guys doing? I just wanted to ask, uh, you know, in his rookie year, Andrew Adams did a good job, I thought, of playing the free safety position. And then last year, Darian Thompson filled in, and I guess he didn't do as good as I thought Andrew Adams did. Why do you guys think that Andrew Adams hasn't retained that free safety spot? Well, we have yet to see who's actually going to fully win that job. So I wouldn't go so far to say that Andrew Adams is not in the mix or hasn't retained anything. I mean, Darian Thompson, as you well know, Primo, I mean, unfortunately, he got struck by the injury bug very early in his career. So that, I think, put him behind the eight ball right from the get-go. And, you know, last year, I, I think it was a combination of a variety of factors. I think you also, you didn't have a lot of stability in the secondary. There was a lot of movement, Paul, in terms of the corners coming in and out of the lineup. But, you know, let's not fool ourselves. The safeties can stay together, but the communication between the safety and the corner is extremely important. So if you go one game, you're playing with Eli Apple. Then the next game, you're playing with a different guy. And then you throw DRC into the mix, and then he doesn't play. You've got to make sure all of these guys are on the same page, especially when you have a young safety in the game. So I think that was a contributing factor why you didn't see the consistency there. And as far as why did Andrew Adams thrive? Well, you know, not that Darian Thompson wasn't motivated, but you know what? You take a guy that was not drafted, Paul. You take a guy that is battling from day one and he is not guaranteed anything on the roster, I guarantee you he's going to be extremely hungry. And that's, I think, another reason why we saw Andrew Adams give a little bit more push there. Quite frankly, I think that with James Betcher coming in as the new defensive coordinator, that would be one of the few positions right now on the starting 22 that I think is, is kind of up for grabs. I don't. I don't want. I mean, I know Landon Collins is going to be a starting safety. I know that Apple and Jenkins, unless something crazy happens, they're the two starting outside corners. You know, there are a bunch of spots. I'm pretty sure you can put in, in almost into concrete. The safety spot next to Collins. I don't know that I feel like that's a concrete spot right now. I'm with you. I think that Adams and Thompson are going to be afforded the opportunity. Maybe Thompson because of. Him being here longer, even though Adams played more games originally as a rookie, and even last year in the sub package he got a lot more time, he's got more snaps under his belt in the NFL maybe than Thompson does. I'd have to count it up, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does. I still think that that's going to be a competition. And, and, and I, you know, I'm not going to put Vegas odds on either one of those guys being a lock to win it right now. I'm just not. But I will tell you this, it wouldn't surprise me if both of them wind up playing a lot anyway because Betcher loves to use the sub package. And move those guys around. All right, Primo. You, anything else, Primo? Uh, I wanted to ask, who do you guys think is going to win the slot corner position? And my final question was, what are you guys' projections for this year for the Giants? 
Okay. Well, appreciate the phone call. In terms of the slot corner, I, I will stand by this statement that I said a few weeks ago. I think right now, William Gate to me is in the driver's seat. Right. He's got far more experience, Paul, than anybody else on this roster. And I, I don't care who's flashed here or there during OTAs. I think he goes into training camp as the favorite. And then let's see what the other guys can do to push him. I would totally agree with that. And as far as records, 90-man roster. Wait, wait till they get at least some preseason games under their belt. Let's talk about the, the the potential record once they get to the final 53. It's just so premature right now. The, the better question was, a guy asked us last week, what would you consider to be a successful season? And our answer was, based on John Mara's quote, that he expects the Giants to be good this year. We said, well... Nine and seven. You've got to have a winning record. Correct. That's what we A said. winning record yeah. is deemed successful. A playoff team is deemed successful, which basically means you could be eight and eight or seven and nine and make the playoffs, and I guess you could term it successful if you want to. But anything less than a winning record or a playoff appearance, technically, that's not successful. I, I think most of us would agree with that generic definition, would we not? I'm with you there, and the point that I brought up when we had that exact conversation was I don't look at one season to another because of so much turnover and parity in the NFL. I think you just got to look at every year you go in, a fresh roster, guys are either healthy or they're not, and the goal is to have a winning record and make the playoffs. So if you fall short of that, how can you then define success? To say, well, you went from three wins to six wins, yeah, that's great, but I don't necessarily think that that's success of the big picture things. You asked about the snaps, Paul, for Darian Thompson and Andrew Adams. Okay, I, you I got the Numbers on that? Yeah, this is actually a little bit surprising. I mean, I'm even surprised by these numbers. Okay, what do you got? Thompson played last year 96% of the defensive snaps, 1,064. Andrew Adams was only at 274. Okay, but then Adams the year before. I'm going to look that up. I just wanted to give he you He was probably over 1,000 the year before. No, you're, you're probably right. Let me go to now the previous season. But I was even surprised. If you were to ask me off the top of my head, I didn't think the disparity was that big in 2017. I would have thought it would have been a little closer. Well, you know why? Because last year they did not go to as much of the three-safety package. They went to more using the regular nickel the regular. with an extra corner as opposed to going three safeties. I, Based on what I've seen with the Cardinals uh, and the way Betcher does it, I think you'll see more three safety than, than what you saw last year. Yeah, based on especially some of those cardinal safeties that were moved between linebackers, safety. Adams team. plays the run well. He's strong. He's powerful for his size. He's not afraid to hit. He's really good in run support. I could see him as that pseudo linebacker in a three safety look. Well, and it was reversed in 2016. Over a thousand, right? Well, no, it wasn't over a thousand. Andrew wasn't. Adams only played 747 wow. steps. It was 67 percent. But the, obviously, the disparity was big because Darian Thompson got hurt. Yes. So he only played 87 snaps, eight percent. So that goes without saying, mainly because he was banged up. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. We got Len back on the line, so let's give Len an opportunity to make his other point. Len, what's happening? Sorry about uh, losing you there before. That's okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate you putting me back on. Thompson's got to tackle better. That, that's just the bottom line with Thompson. He, he'll start if he tackles better. You're absolutely right, Paul. Adams, Adams can tackle, but I think, there's, I think they still want Thompson to win this job. 
I, I just want to see, he takes terrible angles. I just want to see the guy tackle better. Well, he's more um, of a ball um, hawk, too, to be honest with you, Len. And if you're going to use Collins in a variety of ways, which we know he's going to be like a joker safety, and if you're going to make Adams more of an in-the-box guy in sub packages, well, you want yeah. that other safety to be a center fielder. And that's yeah. what Thomas's skill set dictates. Well, I yeah. think, though, okay. what, what the Giants are waiting to see, and I'll let you continue, Len, is Thompson showcasing those ball hawk skills. Because yeah. this is a guy that had 19 We didn't see it last season at all. Which was a Mountain West no. record, and that hasn't translated here yet. Yeah. Yeah. Lance, bear with me. I want to say something to Paul here and only take about 20 seconds. <laughs> Paul, with nothing better to do the other day, I ran up Joe Morrison's 19, Joe Morris, 1985 season, all 20 of his touchdowns that, that, that season. And the one thing that stood out, and this helps with the fullback situation here, the one thing that stood out, oh, my goodness, the role that Maurice Carthon I know. <laughs> played on those touchdowns. I mean, it is just unbelievable how well Carthon blocked. I mean, Morris had a great year. He was a great runner. I'm not taking anything away from him. But holy cow, Maurice Carthon was just unbelievable. You know what's yeah. funny, Len? At that time in 85 when, when little Joe ran for uh, league-leading 21 touchdowns. Yeah, 21. That's that, right, yes. That number. That number 21, it was the most touchdowns in NFL history in one season, uh, rushing touchdowns, by a pure halfback. Yeah. Up until that yeah. point. I mean, Riggins had run for more, but we all know Riggins was a one-back workhorse fullback type. Yes, um, yes. I'm talking about out of a two-back eye set. Yes. Joe Thank Morris you. I held like the, the use record. Of the word halfback. I haven't heard that in a long time. That's what he time was. Ball. He was but a halfback. You're absolutely right. It wasn't always an eye formation with Carthon in front. There was a lot of times with um, you know, Carthon lined up next to him, but Sometimes also uh, Carthon yep. coming um, as a tight end and coming coming back in motion across mm-hmm. the line. Holy cow! If you want to have some fun, Paul, run that up on YouTube. It's oh, just, I've it's really, watched really it many times. Video. Um, <laughs> I think the key on the fullback, the key on the fullback spot, is going to be as we get closer to training camp. If they bring in another fullback to compete with Smith, I think. Then we've got it. You know, we got something serious about whether or not we're going to keep the fullback. I, I just can't imagine they're going to go into the season having looked only at at Smith. I think somewhere we're going to sign another fullback. There's going to be some competition if we're going to really keep a fullback. Yeah. Anybody's guess, yeah. Len? It's possible. Anybody's hey, guess. Yeah. I, I would never rule out perhaps a veteran joining the team late. I, I yeah. think that's always an option. Hey, thank God. Thanks for putting me back on, yeah. guys. No Have problem, a good Len. Day. The only thing I'll say, though, you know, Len went a little bit over 20 seconds, though, with his little uh, dissertation. Well, I interrupted him. Okay, I I just wanted to bring that up for those of you counting at home. But seriously, that was a record for halfbacks, for pure halfbacks, 21 rushing touchdowns in 85. And and Len would also tell you, (laughs) man, that O-line, those suburbanites, oh, baby. Mark Bavaro was playing tight end. Changes you know, things. Well, I will Zeke tell you Moat this. Zeke yeah, well, he had the knee injury, and that, that kiboshed his season. But Well, forget the individual record. I think the Giants would be content if they get 21 rushing touchdowns as a team. Yeah, right. Okay, because let's face it, it's taken three or four seasons to get to 21 yeah. over the but last the few Suburbanites years. were great. What, yeah. a, what a terrific offensive huh? line. When you win the battle in the trenches, it goes without saying. I think Dave Gettleman would approve. Yeah. Okay, Charlie is in Portland, Maine. Charlie probably would approve with that statement, too, but he's still going to talk about the offensive line. What's happening, Charlie? <laughs> Hey, guys. Hey, um, uh, Paul, you mentioned uh, Shermer, what he said about a fullback, and I thought that was very telling that he only t- 
talked about the fullback in the sense of a pass blocker, and he didn't really talk about a fullback leading the way for Barkley. So to me, that tells me he's going to use a tight end more than he's going to use a pure fullback in the system. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but from what he's saying, he values the fullback as another blocker, so he can use a tight end for that. That is, we just picked up another tight end. Well, Charlie, you know, the, that that is that is how he answered the specific question, the way it was addressed. I might say to you, if if that's his intent, that it's going to be a pass blocker then it's going to be the best pass blocker in that spot. And if that if that guy is Shane Smith, then maybe Shane Smith does win a spot on this team. You know, because ultimately, isn't this all about keeping Eli healthy? Uh, yeah, for sure. But uh, to me, it looks like to me, since we picked up another tight end, that he, you know, he likes tight ends. So I... To me, I don't think we're going to have a fullback leading the way for Barkley. If it is, it's going to be an H-back. It's going to be a tight end. And we're going to keep four tight ends uh, because one of them is actually going to be the hybrid. But that's just me looking at it and just listening to what he's been saying and what he did in uh, um, Minnesota. Uh You could just tell Charlie in the tone of his voice the irritation (laughs) over another (laughs) tight end. I mean, like if it was an offensive lineman, he would be doing jumping That's jacks right. right now. But I mean, every time they go out and sign another tight end, it's disgusting. We voice. don't need another tackle to Charlie, compete. Charlie, I'll tell know? you what, though. You heard me earlier today. We talked about the second string offensive line from left to right. And, yeah. it, and if that doesn't put a smile on your face, I don't know what does because we, the Giants have not had a second-unit offensive line of that caliber competing on a roster in several years. Well, that's if you, that's if you think Wheeler is is you know raising his game. You know, I, I don't know if he is or not. Hopefully, he is. It seems like uh, you know he's he's definitely got his head on straight, and hopefully, he has the uh, physicality to be able to to play. Well, that position. here's the thing: if he could be half the man that Will Beatty was, that's a step in the right direction, <laughs> oh, Charlie. So you know, why that, did you feed well, him that? Well, no, because that's that's the model. And that's the standard. See, Charlie, right, everybody gets compared to Will Charlie, Beatty go ahead. Said, what yes. else do you have today, <laughs> Charlie? <laughs> no, that's basically oh, it. Oh, thank you. I wanted goodness. to comment on, the, on the fullback situation. I, I really think we're not going to keep a real fullback, or we would have somebody in here besides Smith. I think we're going with tight ends, and I think that's what Shermer likes, and that's what he's going to do. Interesting okay. observation, Charlie, and that may be the way he goes. Uh, we're going to watch it carefully. Believe me, we've got a couple of months to take a look at it. All right, Charlie. All thank right, you. Guys. You got it. Appreciate the phone call. Let's hear from Maurice in Montclair. Maurice, what's happening? Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Hi. How are you? Doing well. What's happening with you? What do you got uh, for us? Not much, man. I haven't called in in a while, but um, I've just been kind of sitting back looking at the roster. Uh, quick thought on the defense. You know, I don't think a lot of people is expecting this Giants defense to be off the charts, but um, if you guys will, just this quick question, then I'll finish. Um, who do you think could possibly be some pleasant surprises for us? They can be like not all not all guys that's you know starters and proven guys, but some guys that either they added or some guys that's probably going into their second or third year that could probably show up big for us on defense. 
That's a good question in terms of defensive personnel who has an opportunity to sort of make a statement. I mean, I think when you look at the defensive line, that to me is a position to watch because I think there's opportunities for players to make some noise at those respective positions. I mean, one guy that I'm intrigued to see what he could do in this defense is probably Avery Moss. He would be right near the top of my list where I think that if they use him correctly – if he's into it, if he continues to improve, you know, that could be a guy that is due for maybe that breakout, hey, welcome, I've arrived type of season mm -hmm. in the NFL. That, I think, to me, is a good candidate to throw out there that comes to mind. I I'm really interested to see a healthy B.J. Goodson for 16 games, That's to another be good quite one. frank yeah. with you. And, and I'm also very interested in seeing Darian Thompson be the guy out of Boise State that we thought he was going to be. And I also want to see Eli Apple with his head screwed on straight. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of guys you well, can pick. you know, the thing is, with Apple and Goodson, we've seen the flashes. But I would say with Thompson and Moss, you haven't seen nearly as much. Especially not in real-life regular season games. Exactly. So that's why I, I would go with those two over yeah. Apple and Goodson. That's fair. If you wanted to go for, you know, who could maybe be due for a breakout? Who do you want to see take the next step? Those would be the two guys. Got you, got you, definitely. Um, I just think that the defense is slept on. I think that will be more of a, a bend, not break um, type defense, and I'm, and I'm fine with that. I've seen it in the past. But my other point, my other points would be this. Uh, we're heading, you know, we're finishing up OTAs. We're going to head in the training camp and all that good stuff. But this is for Paul, but you can uh, chime in too, Lent. In the preseason, right, so there's two questions here. In the preseason, would you guys, if you guys were calling the shots, would you guys put the, the first-team offense, of line out there to, to gel and get some camaraderie? Yes. Or would you kind of play it safe and not try and sacrifice anything and play it and, you know, and be more conservative? Nah, you let me. I, I had to jump the gun on that one because I absolutely think those guys need as many snaps as they possibly can get together. And I'm not necessarily saying that you're going to play them from preseason game one into the second half. But what I'm saying is, you know, play them the first quarter in that first game. Maybe you play him. I don't know how I would. I haven't really thought about dividing it up, but I would tell you what. Maybe they get the whole first quarter in that first game instead of only the first series, which a lot of times it's only the first series. No, I'd say give them the whole first quarter, maybe even into the yeah. second quarter. Got to get these guys' snaps together. No question in my mind, at least. I'm with Paul. I, I think you got to get them as many snaps as possible. And keep in mind, you know, if a guy like Will Hernandez ultimately starts, I mean, he's a rookie. So you want to yeah. play him as much as possible. And here's the other way to look at it, Maurice. If Eli Manning is not starting some of those preseason games, it's better that Davis Webb and Kyle Laletta play with that offensive line yeah. in front of them as opposed to you throw those two young guys in front of the backups and maybe the protection is not as great. How are you supposed to evaluate these quarterbacks? I'd rather see them playing behind a good offensive offensive line, then you can at least get a better idea of their decision-making. I'm going to make it a simple answer for you. It's already been too complicated. I think of all the starters on this team, the offensive linemen should get the most snaps in the preseason over the four games, period. How about that? Got you, got you, got you. I'm with, I'm with that train of thought also. And this, this is my last thing here. You know, in terms of guys that you would probably, quote-unquote, say are on the bubble – or, you know, you know, they kinda gotta prove a lot. Who 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 in mind and you can name a couple guys would this uh preseason be sort of the biggest for? Who has to really take them you know, to make the most out of this preseason? Thanks for taking my call, guys. All right, Maurice, appreciate the phone call. Well, I mean, I think you're looking at any of the second or third string guys on the depth chart. 
because at any of those spots where there is competition, uh, they're going to have to prove that they belong against the challenger who has been brought in by a new administration. And, and you could list a bunch of guys on the second and third teams. Yeah, I mean, Jarrell Adams we talked about earlier. I, I think he certainly is a candidate to fall under the question that Maurice threw out there. You know, guys so. like Greco and Jerry competing for backup guard spots. Who You know, are both of them going to stay? Is one of them going to stay? Who knows? Yeah, they belong in the mix. Uh, the another, receivers? The back end of the receiving depth chart? Roger Lewis is a guy that I don't think he's guaranteed anything. Here's another one. What about on the defensive line? Kerry Wynn, I think, is a guy you know who's been around, but you know, now it's a new coaching staff. New formation, you know, new scheme. You know, he's somebody that I think falls in that category too. I mean, I talk about Dante Dion all the time, but Dante Dion's got to go out there and he's got to earn his spot. I think he will, but he's got to earn his spot. He's not guaranteed a 53. Romeo Quara is another guy. Yeah, that I think he's, I would he's throw out there. I think he's done more though. They've shown more impetus with him in the scheme and what they're doing. I suspect right now they think he's going to be there, but if, what if he goes out and does nothing in the preseason? Yeah. Here's the other thing. You know, I'm just scrolling through the roster as we're looking for names. I think when you put things in perspective, you take a step back. There's been a lot of turnover on this roster, too, Paul. So there's not a lot of candidates who you could say, you know, have been here for three years and you're just waiting for now all of a sudden in year four for them to jump out because there's not a lot of guys with a lot of experience within the Giants organization I'm right. talking about because there's so many new faces. There's veterans on this team, yeah. but they haven't necessarily suited up for the Giants. So there's a distinct difference there. But I think the few names that we threw out certainly are players to watch. I mean, do we know for sure Aldrich Rosas is going to be the kicker? Another one. Yeah. Who, by know. the way, speaking we of that. We think so, but we don't know. Be, before we wrap up here, Aldrich Rosas, they had lined up to take multiple kicks. And, you know, this is another way that Pat Shermer tries to build competition. He doesn't like to leave on a missed field goal. Yes. Just like in basketball yes. practice, you don't like to leave on a missed shot. So Correct. he had Aldrich Rosas make sure that he nailed the last one. And he before. missed twice. And on the third one, finally yep. made it. And when Shermer was asked about it after practice, he said, well, he had made every one up to that point. And then at the end of practice, he missed. And I was going to make him stay until he got it. And he so, did. There you go. I just want to get to one real and it was, quick And it was tweet. about 50 yards, as I recall. I believe it was. Yes. I think you are right. And I think even Shermer mentioned that. Lisa at SoBad6. Question, guys, in your opinion, who do you think will be a breakout player that we least expect? She says, I think Snacks will have a great year. Well, I think we answered some of that with respect yep. to guys like Avery Moss and Darian Thompson. I, I think are two really good candidates that could potentially have breakout years. And Snacks, you just hope Snacks continues to do his thing. I don't yeah. know necessarily if I'd put him onto the breakout candidate label, but uh, he certainly could be in position to, uh, as long as he stays healthy, line up next to Dalvin Tomlinson and help that defensive line go to work. With that being said, that's going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running tomorrow at noon Eastern. Keep you up to date with all the latest developments with respect to the New York Giants. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Benno. Enjoy the rest of your Monday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.